0: You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at HolmesAvenue.com. Well, Christmas season is upon us. Officially, we can celebrate the turkeys out of the oven, and so now you may decorate. And I appreciate Kathy and Caitlin holding off until after Thanksgiving. It does my Grinch heart good to know that Christmas comes after the turkey. I say that knowing good and well that trees have been up in my house for a month already. So just bear with me on this, okay? Not really a stickler. But Christmas is here. It's a beautiful time of year. It's one that we all rejoice in. and, And frankly, I think we love this time of year because there's a sense of magic that comes with Christmas. I mean, the air's a little crisper, the sun's a little brighter, you're shopping, you're getting presents, it's just a joyful time of year. Yet, Christmas is also one of the hardest times of year for so many of us, isn't it? As we reflect upon our year and the challenges that we faced, the challenges that others in our lives have faced, we mourn a little bit. We look at the reality that for many people, this is one of the hardest times of year simply because the holidays look very different than they did years ago. I can't help but be drawn to thinking about my father and how the holidays look every year for him. It's been three years since my mother passed and the holidays are sweet and still good, yet there's something different about them. Perhaps amid this despair or depression, this disappointment you feel in this year, maybe you're looking for hope. Maybe you're looking for something to bring back that joy and satisfaction. I'll ask this question. Do you think that you can find hope in 90 feet of you? Within 90 feet, do you think there is hope to be found? I know it's an unusual question, but I want you to consider this story for me. I don't know if any of you are baseball fans. I am a huge baseball fan, so forgive me for this. But I want to tell you the story of the 2003-2004 Boston Red Sox. In 2004, the Boston Red Sox are down three games to nothing in the American League Championship Series. It gets worse. In game four, they are losing 4-3 in the ninth inning. On the mound, they have the greatest postseason pitcher that they're facing. Mariana Rivera, the best postseason pitcher in the history of baseball. He walks to first batter and up steps Dave Roberts to first base to pinch run. Dave Roberts is not a great hitter, not a great fielder, but he's really fast and he's got one job this night, one job. He has to steal second base. He has to get to second because if he makes it 90 feet to second base, there's hope. If he makes it to second base, they have a chance. Well, what do you know it? The storybook ending happens. And the next batter, Dave Roberts steals second. And that batter goes on to hit a single right through the infield that barely makes it through two fielders. And Dave Roberts scores and ties the game 4 4. The Red Sox go on to win in extra innings, and well, frankly, it seems like a really cute story because no baseball team in history has come back from being down three games to nothing in a seven game series. But wouldn't you know it, the Red Sox win game five, they win game six. And in this chill October month in 2004, me as a young baseball nerd, I am thrilled to be sitting on the cusp of history. Will this hope be fulfilled? Can the Red Sox win it? Full disclosure, I'm a Braves fan, so it's not that exciting. But it's also a moment of, can they make history? Can they win? And wouldn't you know it, they win game seven. And then they go on to win this little thing called the World Series right after. And so that wasn't important. They had won this incredible series. Would you ever think that you could find hope in something as small as a stolen base? You see, the entire 2004 series, it hinged upon this stolen base for both teams. Everything rested upon this small thing. There was no path to victory until this moment. There was no hope to be found at all. You see, someone had to make a way where there was no way. This takes us directly to our bottom line. When you're searching for hope, when you're looking for hope this holiday season, when you can't find the way, you trust God to make the way. You trust God to make a way. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25 today. And we're going to see how God makes a way when there was no way, where he transforms a story by people choosing to trust in his ability to make a way. Look with me at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Our first point here is that we live in a world of worry. We live in a world of worry. Let's take a look at Jesus' parents here. Let's consider what they're dealing with. Joseph and Mary, they are engaged to be married at this time. Jewish culture has a pretty long engagement period before they consummate the marriage. It's about a year long that they're supposed to live life together or separately. And it's really a testing time for the couple. It's to see if they would remain faithful to one another while they're separated by a year or more with little to no contact. During this time, Mary is found to be pregnant. Now, we know because we can look at the stories and the gospels, we can see what God is doing, that she's told by the angel Gabriel that she's going to conceive a child while she's still a virgin. The Holy Spirit's going to do what the Holy Spirit does, and he's going to have her with child. And she's got a lot of questions for the angel, right? If you go to the book of Luke and see what she's saying, she's got lots of questions. She has many things she doesn't understand, but she ultimately chooses to do what? trust in God to make a way forward for her. Mary's not stupid. She understands the reality that this is going to bring trouble for her in the short term. She's this woman who's set to be married and now she is with child. Worse, she's gone away from Joseph for a couple of months to see Elizabeth and now she's coming home and she's showing Things are not looking good for her. She knows that this is a scandal waiting to come to fruition. She knows that ultimately, if God does not do something here, things are going to end poorly for her and Joseph. Now we look at Joseph, who's also facing a bit of a quandary for himself. You see, Joseph recognizes that his soon to be wife is pregnant. And he knows that he had nothing to do with this. I mean, the reality is he knows he wasn't there when this occurred. And so he decides that he's going to handle this in a way that's appropriate to Mary and himself. He's a righteous man, so he wants to handle this quietly and rightly with Mary. You see, in Jewish culture, a wife that was found to be unfaithful, you could take her before the elders of the city, of the village, of the town, And condemn her for her adultery. And then they would stone her to death in front of her father's house. I mean, it sounds like the most horrible thing on earth, but that was what they allowed the innocent party to do. Joseph said, I'm not here for that. I couldn't dare do that to someone. So rather, I will divorce her quietly. I'll send her away. I won't talk about it. I won't tell anybody about it. When they ask questions about it, I'll be, well, you know, she just kind of got tired of me. Their lives are in turmoil, but their lives don't exist in a vacuum because their world is in turmoil as well. Consider the state of Israel in that time. Israel's in the middle of strife and conflict in the middle of their history. We're coming into this passage after about 400 years of silence between the Old and New Testament. This is the first recorded movement of God in 400 years in the lives of Israel. They've been conquered by multiple foreign leaders in this time. Alexander the Great was in charge for a little while. Then Ptolemy was in charge for a little while. and Now the Romans are in charge. This period that we see in the midst of the history of Israel is filled with violence and rebellion by the Jewish people. They fought brutally to ensure that they would be a free people in this period. And every time, they lost. Thousands have died in these wars and these conflicts. Joseph and Mary probably know many people that have been killed in these battles. They've now got a king who's been established by Rome. He's a Jewish man named Herod, but he's merely a puppet for the Roman Empire. He's here to do whatever Rome tells him to do, and he's going to collect a paycheck while he's doing it. Life is okay for him. But in Israel, faith is at an all-time low. I mean, consider the perspective of the Israelites. They have come into the promised land. They are God's chosen people. And what has happened for the last 400 years? They've been stomped and beaten down. They've lost every war they've been in. They've been oppressed by every single ruler that's come upon them. Faith is at an all-time low for these people. They are dissatisfied with religion because in this time we have contemporary writers of Jesus who are Jewish people writing that faith has no answers for them because God has not done anything that He's promised to do. The Romans and the Greeks, they're searching for answers too. They're looking to the Hebrews, the Scriptures that they found in Hebrews. They're trying to find some answer from there because they're looking at their pantheon and gods going, you know, the Roman Empire is not doing so well right now either. Is there an answer found in these gods? And the Romans and the Greeks, they conclude there's not. Because if their God was so mighty, he surely would have done something for his people. Frankly, the only thing that everyone can agree upon is that it seems like there's no hope to be found. Does this sound a bit familiar to you? Because it might bring some echoing refrains from our world today, if you're paying attention, right? Solomon says in Ecclesiastes that there's nothing new under the sun, and boy, is he right. Simply consider our own lives. How many of us are in turmoil and distress right now because of things like finances, health, relationships? There are so many things pressing in upon us that bring us distress, and we're wondering, is anything going to make this right? Can these things be made the way they're supposed to be? Is there any hope for my personal circumstances to just get sorted out in the midst of the messiness? And let's just be honest with one another. Since we've gone through the pandemic, we increasingly are less optimistic as people. We just simply expect the other shoe to drop at any minute. And so we live in this world where our personal lives are in turmoil. But if that's not enough, our world is dealing with strife and conflict. I mean, you can just look around and it doesn't seem like there's, there are places that don't have problems. Ignoring even just the political and social unrest in our country, we have active wars in places like Ukraine, in Israel, in Sudan, in Haiti. We can go on and on and on. It seems like it's easier to find places that have violence and conflict and strife than it is to find places that have peace and rest in our world today. If we want to be honest with one another, we might too agree with the Jews and the Romans and the Greeks and say it feels a little bit hopeless, doesn't it? It feels like there's no way out of this pit of despair and darkness we're in. And so we ask honestly, earnestly, is there any way forward for us? Is there any way out of this? Can we find hope in this world? You see, in this passage, it's a very bleak, dark time. It's very bleak and dark in our world, yet the entire story of the New Testament, the entire story of the New Testament is the very story of how hope came into the world. And brothers and sisters, let me assure you that hope has not left the world. You see, this hope isn't just for the Jews or the Greeks or the Romans. It's for the entire world. This hope came in the form of this small child named Jesus. This hope broke into the world, not with a roaring thunder, not with rushing winds, but with a quiet, shrill cry of a baby being born. Well, how does this world change for Mary, for Joseph, for the society, society, the culture they're in? Well, as we see, their world of worry then becomes to transform into a world of hope. Look with me at verse 20. But as he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, behold, As we come back to Joseph here, we see that his mind's made up about this scandal. The only thing he can think to do is he's going to divorce her quietly, and he's going to move on with his life. He's just going to go and figure it out. He'll find another wife. She'll be okay. There's no need to ruin her life. But his plans are interrupted by an angel from the Lord. You see, this angel begins to point him to this future hope that he has in the Lord. He's told to not worry about taking Mary as his wife, which frankly probably sounds like the most ridiculous thing you could ever hear. Your wife is pregnant. It's in the midst of a scandal waiting to happen. But don't you worry about that. I'm sure that Joseph's eyes were continually rolling as the angel's talking to him. But the angel continues to speak. He says, in fact, she's still pure and she's in fact doing a greater service for the Lord. He said, you don't need to worry about the things you're worried about here because it's going to be all right. He tells them this good news that you're going to have a son. That's what every father in this society looks for. They're hoping to have a son, to be the heir, to take care of the family one day, to provide for their mother and for the children that they may have. And and they're, they're looking for a male heir. And so Joseph is perhaps overjoyed by this fact that he will have a son. And the angel keeps talking and it just keeps getting better. He says, not only will you have a son, but this son... Is going to save his people. Joseph lives in a society where there's been constant wars and struggles and battles for freedom. And he's hearing this going, He'll save our people. I'm going to give birth, my wife is going to give birth to this beautiful baby boy who's going to rescue our people. The angel proclaims that he'll save his people from their sins pointing Joseph's mind not to a political rescue, not to a social rescue, but to a spiritual rescue. That he's going to fundamentally change the hearts and minds of the people in the world. When Joseph wakes up, what does he do? He doesn't run away screaming. He doesn't continue with a divorce. No, he goes to Mary and says, I'm still going to marry you. We are still going to be husband and wife. Let me tell you about what the Lord has told me. And the Mary, Mary's there rolling her eyes going, I think that I just told you that, you dummy. If you listen to me, at any point in our relationship, you would know that this has already been proclaimed by the Lord. But thank you for catching up. She probably just said, that sounds great, sweetie. So when are we going to get something to eat? Joseph's life is radically changed by this dream that offers hope to him. It offers assurance to him. It gives him confidence that things will work. When Joseph had this dream, he really didn't understand the role that he was playing in God's great story. He truly didn't. He just merely got assurance in this moment that things are going to work out in the short term. You know, he, was, he could only see this little portion of his life that showed him that his life was a wreck and his dreams were destroyed, but God's making a way through this where there was no way. You see, Joseph, he struggled with the very same thing that the Jewish people were struggling with. He struggled with the very same thing that the Romans and the Greeks struggled with. He struggled with the same thing that you and I are struggling with. You see, the thing that we're all struggling with in this world today, throughout history, if we can call balls and strikes fairly, the thing that we're struggling with is trust. What Joseph needed, what the Jews needed, what the Greeks and the Romans needed, what you and I need is trust. You see, at its core, At the very core of what hope is. Hope is trusting that God has a plan for the world and for us. That's what it is. Hope equals trust. We are trusting that God has a plan and a purpose for his world. We are trusting that God has a plan and a purpose for you and for I. Hope is merely trusting that God will do what He has said He will do. It's the foundation of hope resting in this truth that ultimately God is enough for us. See, this is what this passage is proclaiming to those who read it. This is what Matthew's writing about. He's writing about the birth of Jesus, this baby that is born, coming into the world as a meek and mild, innocent child. He comes into the world. He, this child, will be the foundation of hope for all the world. He's already fulfilling the prophecies of God, the promises of God, simply by being born of a virgin and being literally God with his people. And this is why he says his name shall be Emmanuel because he is God with us. Not only does he walk this earth breathing the same air that we have breathed, but more importantly he has come to save his people, fulfilling the gospel promise that's begun all the way in the book of Genesis. You see, in the very beginning of the Bible, God created the world and things were good. And then Adam and Eve Sin because what? Because why? Because they did not trust God. And God promised in the garden that one day he would send his servant, his son, to defeat Satan, to end sin, to destroy death, and bring his people back home. You see, the entire story of the Bible can be summed up as People have a trust problem. And throughout history, as we study the Scriptures, what do we see the foundational problem of every person that has lived in the Scriptures reflecting as what? It's trust. They have not trusted in God. Hope is trusting in God. And the angel is ultimately showing Joseph that he needs to trust in God right now. Joseph doesn't understand everything that's been told to him. I'm sure once Mary shared the prophecies that she received from Gabriel, the angel, he was still a little confused about what was happening. Frankly, the angels didn't tell them everything and didn't show them everything he honestly doesn't even really know what he's supposed to do a few years down the line. However, he knows what he's supposed to do today. He knows what his next step is. Today, he must stop in his tracks and he must show true righteousness. Today, he has to hit the brakes on all his plans, on everything he's got, and to simply stop and trust in God. You see, a part of this trust requires that he endures this scandal that is existing in his town. That he's going to marry this pregnant wife whom everybody knows got pregnant when she was away from him. And he must faithfully marry her. Not only must he do that, he must love and serve her. And then love and serve this child that is someone else's. He did all of this so that the Savior of the world would love and serve his people to the point of death. If that's not trust, I don't know what you would call trust. Joseph knows nothing beyond the fact that he's going to have a son, that his son's going to grow up to be the savior of the world. He probably doesn't even really know what that means. But he has enough trust to say, "Okay, God, if this is what you're doing, I'm going to follow you. And I don't know all the answers. I frankly don't know what I'm supposed to do in the meantime. Like he's going to be born and then he's somehow going to become the savior of the world. I don't know what that looks like but I'm going to trust that in that in-between time, you're going to work it out for my good and for your glory. This shows us that hope is its kind of a messy thing, isn't it? It's not always wrapped up in a neat package with a bow on top. I think we're used to that kind of package just from Christmas movies, Right? You watch any Christmas movie and the story ends with everything neatly resolved. It's a nice wrapped present with a pretty bow on top. And we just expect by the time we get to the end of the story, it's going to be resolved and everything's going to be done and okay. But hope isn't like that. Hope is something that can come and and fits and starts. Sometimes it's even hard to find. Yet the problem isn't found with hope. The problem is found with the ones who are searching for it. You see, if hope is simply trusting in God, if that's we can call a you know, simple four dummies definition of hope, if it's trusting in God, then we have to figure out what it is that is preventing us from trusting in God. For some of us, it's pride. We think that we can figure it out. We think we can do it on our own. We think we are capable of wrestling through these things. And the truth is, we're not. For others, it's that we're self-righteous. And we think that we've got it all together because we are God's special chosen child. And of course, we don't need any help because we're good. We are are the saved. We're the redeemed. We don't need any help from anybody. Yet others are wallowing in pity, saying, woe is me, how could this happen? Ignoring the fact that someone's frantically shoving a ladder down in the pit you're in, calling you to get out. You see, the problem in whatever camp you find yourself in is not in the one who has brought hope. It's in the one who is looking for hope. Our problem is that just like Adam and Eve, just like every person who ever failed in the Bible, that we have a trust problem. We want to be the hero of the story. We want the story to be about us. But we just can't do it on our own. The truth is, is that we don't need to be a superhero. We don't even frankly need a superhero in our story. What we need is this meek and innocent child to rescue us. What we need is someone to come make a way for us to have hope. Perhaps you're here today and... You don't really know how to find your way forward in this life. You look at your story and it's messy, it's broken, and you're just not really sure where to go from here. What you need to do is to trust God to show your path forward. It's the very heart of the gospel. It's the very heart of the gospel. If you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, God created man. To know him, to enjoy him, to be a part of his family. And in the beginning, things were good. And then we chose to stop trusting God. And in that moment, that lack of trust has led to thousands of years of heartbreak and despair. If you look around and you say the world is broken, well, then maybe it is. If you say the world is getting worse, then maybe it is. But just because those things are broken and perhaps getting worse, it does not mean that there is not hope to be found. Because the story of the scriptures tell us that when we sinned, when we chose to not trust in God. When we turned away from him, he did not turn away. In fact, he promised in the garden, though you have chose to not trust me, I will never stop pursuing you. I will never reject you. You will never walk alone. Because though you do not trust me, one day I will send my son Jesus. This perfect sacrifice to make things right again so that the world can experience hope once again. And what you'll need to do to be rescued, to have a relationship with me, to see things be made right in your life and in your world, is to trust me. Is to trust in what my son has done for you, to trust in his righteousness, his perfect sacrifice, and come back home. I want to draw your attention to our bottom line yet again. When you can't find the way, trust God to make one. My dear brothers and sisters, wherever you are in your journey, wherever you are in your walk with God, whether you're seeking whether you're not sure if he exists, whether you're a believer and you're struggling, your next step is to trust that God will make a way so that you might know him. Trust in him. Trust in his power. Trust in his character. Here in the next few moments, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what God is doing in your life and in our world. You'll have an opportunity as our worship team comes forward to rejoice in song, singing of God's grace and mercy. But before that, we'll have a time of prayer. This is a time where you can speak to God. You can ask Him questions. You can confess things to Him. If you're not really sure what even to do there, or how to do that, you can come speak to myself and we'll pray together. But this is an opportunity for you to celebrate God's grace through confessing your sins to him, trusting in him for forgiveness, and living life as he intended us to live. So if I may, I'd like to pray for us, and then we'll continue to worship God through song. If you would, would you go to the Lord in prayer with me? Father, we come to you today recognizing that we have a trust problem. Lord, it is our desire to find righteousness, to seek out our own will and gain. Lord, ultimately what we hope for, what we want in this life is to be the hero of the story. And Lord, as you've told us from the beginning of the scriptures, the hero of this story is not us, but you. And so, Lord, I don't pretend to know where everyone who is hearing this is at. I don't know all the stories and all the challenges or difficulties that we're facing, but I do know this. You are a God who is worthy of trust. You have kept every promise you have made in the scriptures. You have kept every promise to your people for generations. That you have never once let us walk alone. You have never once abandoned us. Lord, we rest in this truth that your character shows that you are worthy of trust. And so, Father, what I ask today is that we could trust you. Lord, give us the ability to trust even when we don't know the way forward. Let us trust even when things are hard. Father, let us trust that you will make a way where there is no way, because that's just who you are, Lord. That's the story of what you've done throughout history. Where there is no way forward or there's no path for your people, you have broken into the world and made a way. Even the story of Jesus is an incredible testimony of this. Lord, there should not be any way for you to make an unrighteous people righteous, but you found it. Not only did you find it, you pursued it so that we might know you. Lord, today what I would ask of you is to let us see your grace and mercy. Let us rejoice in you. Let us sing clearly and confidently because we are redeemed people. We have taken our step of trusting you today. Lord, wherever we are, anyone listening, wherever we are on our journey, I pray that you would call us to take our next step with you, Lord. Lord, we're thankful for you. We're grateful for your grace and mercy. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.